0: Here's a question, how does an ordinary person land their dream job in the sports industry immediately after graduating? Welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast, your bite-sized guide to enter the sports industry. I'm Ruben Williams. And I'm Ryan Walker. In 2017, we said goodbye to exams and hello to full-time work. This is a behind-the-scenes reveal of exactly how the best sports industry professionals in the world created careers that most only dream of. We believe
1: every dream job in sport is worth chasing, and that's why we want to give you the tools to make it a
0: reality. For a proven process to getting jobs in sport, download our free ebook, How to Get Jobs in Sport The Sports Grad Method. You can get this for free at www.sportsgrad.com.au.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast. My name is Ryan Walker, and with me, as always, is the impeccable Reuben Williams. How are you going, mate?
0: Hello, Ryan. How are you? I'm, I'm very well. Thank you, my friend. I'm um, I'm feeling very relieved. We're, we're back out of lockdown. Those of us in Melbourne have had to endure a snap five-day lockdown. Uh, so it's very good to be back out in the world again. But um, I'm also counting our lucky stars, Ryan, because mm. a couple of days before the lockdown got announced, we got our first event out of the way the event gained a fair bit of traction and pop and um and interest. And so one of the options to make sure everyone could fit was to delay it a week and hold it in a different venue where where there'd be more space. Thankfully we we're able to get it away in the week that we did because it wouldn't have been able to happen due to the lockdown now. So a very lucky moment for us. Couldn't be more perfect timing.
1: Uh so yeah and, and I think the amount of people that have said to me, gee, lucky lucky you got the event. Up and running, so uh, no, we were very lucky, and it was good to good to have a beverage in a in a pub just before lockdown. So, um, but no, we're out of it now. So great news, um, and we can all go back to our normal lives for the fourth time, um, which is great. Today's guest, Rube's Morgan Todd, she is the manager of strategy and global partnerships at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. And uh, what an awesome chat we had with her! Um, and I think she's got one of the coolest jobs that I've sort of seen in in some time. Main thing that, that I'll say from the get go for for those listening is Morgan works across four sports in one role. So part of part of her role is looking at obviously, the the rappers in the NBA. And then they've obviously got a team in the MLS, the NHL and the Canadian Football League, which is pretty awesome when you think about it, um, working for sort of a company that manages all types of sports and not just one, which often a lot of roles that you see around today is more so focusing
0: on one sport. So, I found that quite interesting from her. Yeah, that was super, super cool. Like, can you imagine doing your job now but for four different teams, so that's it's fascinating to talk to someone from one of those franchise groups. The other thing that really interests me about talking with Morgan is the business model of those franchise groups. And the main one that I'd been familiar with before was the the City Football Group, who owned Manchester United. Sorry, not Manchester United, Manchester City, of course. That, Melbourne that's City. Their biggest rival. <laughs> yes, they definitely <laughs> would not own them. <laughs> Manchester City, Melbourne City. New York City, all these different teams across the world, but focusing on football. Whereas you've got this franchise group who predominantly focus on Canadian uh, teams, and so to hear about how their business model works was was quite fascinating. I found. Yeah, absolutely. It was um, it, it was kind. Of, yeah, you're dead right in
1: saying that. It's a good comparison. Sort of, it's like a city football group, but for four sports, which is uh, which is awesome. Uh, and Like imagine each day it's kind of like, well, I'm not just going to do the NBA today. I'm going to do the MLS as well, um, which, is, which is really cool. Um, the last one, which is probably timely and probably most relevant just for, for 2020 and 2021, but just how, how they're, they're making up for Lost Valley with their commercial partners. Um, and obviously, Morgan spoke a lot about the process they went to do that, sort of looking through contracts, looking at assets, rate cards, finding new ways to deliver digital assets, all, all these kind of things to to make up value, um, which was quite interesting to listen to. Yeah, no, I
0: thought that was fascinating, the way that they kind of shifted a focus onto their digital teams and even cool to note how those how the headcount in those departments had picked up. So, interesting to see where the, the focus has gone for the most essential jobs in sport.
1: Absolutely. Well, we will stop there. Um, grab a pen for those listening. Uh, Morgan Todd is coming up, all the way from Toronto, Canada. Morgan,
0: welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast.
2: Thank you. So nice to be here,
0: Morgan. Most people who end up in commercial strategy and partnerships come through a, a sport management or a, or a commerce degree. You took the alternative route and completed a Bachelor of Psychology. And you're obviously not working as a clinical psychologist now. So how did, how did you end up in sport?
2: It's a great question. Uh, yeah, I came from working in a room with no windows and animals testing in my early days of education. So quite different from the 20,000 fan arena that I now uh, get to work in most days, non-pandemic life. Um, I think when I first started out and where I am today, there's still some connective tissue, the first being that I love understanding how people think, how they work, how they behave, how they're motivated, um, and all of those triggers that come from every lens of a psychological understanding of the human brain. So um, I started in a much more science-specific capacity, looking at how people operate um, in a number of different ways, and I've shifted into much more of a marketing lens. When I graduated, I just thought I need to work around people. Um, I need to be in a place where I can actually create action and I can show my parents what I do on a day-to-day basis um, and that it's really understandable and something that's going to make me feel excited to come into work every day. So um, I took a you know, leap into the dark, joined a marketing program post-graduation and ended up finding myself in an internship uh, doing marketing for the Toronto Maple Leafs and Toronto Raptors. Um, And I haven't really looked back. I think I found my place in uh, looking at humans from a different perspective, looking at them as fans now, first and foremost, um, and understanding what really brings them to their feet. That's our motto at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment is bringing the world to its feet. So you know, not only am I thinking about how we make people um, think or act or behave, we're thinking about it through the lens of igniting passion in them, whether it's through our partnerships or our brand activity. Um, It's all about what's going to make the fan experience better. So uh, it's very similar, I'd say, in some ways, to where I started, but um, definitely not the generic sort of sports-specific focus that's brought me to where I am today.
1: I think you you might be the first person we've spoken to with a psychology background, Rubes. You can probably sense that, sense check that for me. But uh, I think so. Yeah, it's um, it's so interesting to hear from someone who started from that background and up in sport. Was there a sort of like a sliding door moment where if something didn't happen, you probably wouldn't have ended up where you are today?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like I have a bit of a weird one because I was thinking about this earlier today. Um, I actually started my internships on the marketing research side of the business and I loved working in that position, but I had to go back and finish my schooling. I had one more semester. I wanted to go travel. By the time I came back and maybe this might be the sliding door moment number one, was that a new CEO had come in to change the company. And those um, who are familiar with the North American sports scene have heard the name Tim Laiwiki in the past. And he is known for his culture change when he enters an organization. So when I was supposed to be coming back in, he had just joined the company and he was just bringing this new vision. It was all about championships. It was all about the energy and the drive to win. Winning was the number one thing. So it created a little bit of a change internally at MLSE and I decided maybe now is not the best time to come start my full-time career at this organization with so much change going on. So I went out, joined an agency for a couple of years, ended up spending about four years in the agency world. And while I was out there, I got to try so many different you know, brands and cultures and teams and figure out what I liked, what I didn't like when it came to working with so many different, um, what would be now my partner's. Um, and during that time I ended up coming back sort of full circle and working on the Toronto Leafs and Toronto um, Raptors insurance so it kind of came back that would be the second sort of sliding door moment where I was brought back into a different capacity and someone reached out saying hey MLSC's come a long way we've got this new strategy team we've got um, a totally different job for you within the wider organization and that's where I came back today. So I think if those two things hadn't happened, I might have had a totally different career trajectory. I might have been more in a business intelligence uh, sort of frame working at MLSE, or I might have, you know, come and gone in those times and found a different organization or a different career path since then. But I think it worked out and I found my spot specifically for my talents within this ecosystem, at least.
0: Morgan, most people listening outside of North America have probably never heard of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. Do you want to give us a rundown of who they are and the different things that they're
2: involved in? Of course. Uh, so I think our first and foremost team that you would have heard of would have been the Toronto Raptors, the 2019 NBA champions. At least I like to think that our boom was heard around the world in some degree.
1: Sorry, jumping in. I love how obviously we spoke pr- quickly, sort of prior to recording. Each time you've mentioned the Toronto Raptors. You chuck in the 2019 <laughs> NBA champions. Um, yeah. But yeah, obviously a huge fan and a, a fair bit of passion behind the team, which is fantastic.
2: Yeah, it's so exciting for us. It's our one and only NBA championship, which is why we're clinging on into the DNA of it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. I say this. there's by no means a mandate. There's no legal disclaimer asking you to say that. I just constantly say <laughs> To clarify that one, uh, no, MLSE uh, is an interesting company. We own and operate four major no- North American professional league teams. Um, we've got the Toronto Maple Leafs, which are arguably one of the most historical franchises in the game of ice hockey. We've got the Toronto Raptors in the NBA, obviously. We've got Toronto FC, which is... Um, As I talk about NBA championships, we've got the 2017 MLS champions in our portfolio, uh, the only Canadian team to have won the MLS before, which is really exciting. Um, And then the Toronto Argonauts, which are actually the oldest professional sports franchise in North America. Um, They started out as a rowing club and eventually we've turned it into much more of a um, football franchise. So it's really exciting in that sense. We've also got all the minor affiliates that come along with them. Um, and then we also own and operate a number of venues. We do Scotiabank Arena here in Toronto, BMO Field, um, and we've got a partnership with Live Nation. So we also do uh, partnership sales for most of the concerts that you see across the country and all of the activations that come along with it. So we're, we never have a, a dull day here at MLSC. Um, we're sort of the core entertainment franchise in uh, Canada.
0: So if you were to compare it to like another sort of entertainment group, it sounds like you're a Canadian version of the uh, city football group, which has got soccer teams all over the world. But you guys have branched out into just a North American sports and only focusing on Canadian teams. Is that right?
2: Yeah, correct. We're we're also all male teams right now. So uh, maybe there is a future where we span into the female sports world. That's what I would love to see. Um, but, it, yes, in, in essence, that's exactly what we are. We're all focused on the Canadian teams, even though some operate within um, American-based leagues
1: as well. Sounds awesome. You kind of hit all bases in terms of sports and, and entertainment. Like I've just written down there, you've got basketball, soccer, hockey. I think you mentioned American football as well, did you? Um, Canadian football. Well. Canadian football. My, <laughs> my apologies. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, like you kind of hit every single base, which is – which is awesome for a for a business like MLSE. What does sort of the standard business model look like for for the business?
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's a bit different now in a pandemic for sure. But there's a lot of different layers when it comes to how we operate. The interesting thing is we're owned by two of the biggest media companies in Canada. They split the ownership basically equally down the middle with a third stakeholder to balance it out. Larry Tannenbaum. Um, And what that means is that we have a really interesting relationship where our owners benefit from our teams winning. They also are the host of all the networks that we host all of our games on. So um, it's very tightly interwoven and everyone wins together, which is a nice piece um, that not every sports franchise has. Um, But we work much like any other traditional pro sports um, group. So we have a group commercial, which would drive revenue. That's my team within the global partnerships um, arm, as well as ticketing and memberships, retail, f all of those fun money drivers. And then we've got a group that does all of our marketing, our uh, you know, brand and storytelling, studio production, all of that, digital specifically. We've got a really interesting arm um, that we brought on a couple of years ago, which is our digital labs group. We brought in some um, more tech-based digital experts from a number of different places across Canada, and that's been really cool. And then we've got each of our front offices, which is um, a really unique relationship where they sort of function in operation of the team um, on their own. And we are there to support them on the back end. So the Toronto Raptors have their own group that operates the team, including all of their own PR people and coaches and business leadership. They've got people supporting from branding and appearances, player relations. And our job is to make sure that they have everything they need. Um, to be successful and and win us those championships. So there's a lot of people. I think we've got over 500 full-time employees across the organization with an extended reach of probably 2,500 when you count all of our contract workers, our part-time staff, anyone who might be supporting um, on a more ad hoc basis. So it's quite a large group of people that bring our our teams to life.
0: Wow, that is quite a complex business. It's audible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Morgan, given there's so much money tied up in commercial partnerships with your teams and COVID has put a restriction on how much of that you can actually deliver, Mm -hmm. what have been some of the ways that you've been making up for value and and how do you work out how much value actually needs to be made up for?
2: Yeah, that's been a very complex process and something that I think many of us would have liked to not had to do, we we would have wanted to put it off for a little while. But I'm so glad that we did it right from day one of the pandemic. Um, I think the first thing that we did was full stop for a second and look at what actually was deliverable and what was not. So um, at that time, we had no teams playing, we had no bubbles, we had no thought on what, you know, a league resuming might look like. So we had to focus everything over to our digital platforms. We knew people were at home. We knew that they were still able to pick up their phones. They were still watching on TV. Um, so we had to sort of focus in our channels out there and understand how those would operate, given hundreds of partners and a couple teams. We don't want to be just spamming all of our fans all the time. So um, we had a bit to be mindful of there for sure. The place where we started when it came to understanding the back end and the business operations was to go through and look at every single partner contract. Those hundreds of contracts had to be sifted through um, and understand what every single asset was valued at. The interesting thing in the sports world is you have rate cards that you can look at as guides um, based on the value of that category that year or the value that the league has assigned to certain impressions. But as the league grows and the impressions grow, so does the value of that asset. So some had been obviously sort of grandfathered in season over season and were very different values than maybe some others that we had brought in in different situations. So we first had to sort of create a baseline and understand exactly what we were looking at, exactly what might be outstanding in terms of value relative to the overall contract or to other partners, and then figure out what would be the closest way for us to make up that value. So you have a couple of partners that probably on the low end had a couple thousand outstanding. We were sort of halfway through the season We'd already done a bunch for them in the first half, and there was just a little bit to make up. We had other partners like Scotiabank, who is the naming rights partner of our arena, millions and millions and millions of dollars just in seeing that logo on our building every single night on broadcast or fans coming down. Um, So there was lots and lots and lots to figure out there. The nice thing I would say is once we started to understand what our bubbles looked like, and we've had many since then, as well as sort of resuming to normal play with it when it comes to the NHL and NBA, is that we gained a lot of those awareness driving assets back. People are tuned right back into their TVs. They're watching our games. They're seeing our regular assets when it comes to our rink boards, our in-ice logos, our um, signage around the court. It all feels very familiar, and it's very, very comparable to what they would have had before. We just have to do more of it because we don't have fans in the building all the time. So those are definitely the biggest bucket. From there, it's all about going digital. So how are we creating new ways to engage our fans through content, through the app? We've been developing 8-bit games. Um, we've been looking at things like social content. We're teaching our fans everything from how to do their laundry to mowing their lawn, um, coaches giving at-home training and skills development tips, uh, giving insights into players. I'm sure we had lots of player Zoom calls um, back in the beginning. It felt very foreign to us at the time. Um, And then the last piece was thinking about over the summer, how do we physically engage our fans? Like there's something so magical about people coming together, even if it's at a social distance. So we created a play stage, if you will, it was a drive-in venue where we could air all of our Leafs and Raptors playoff games, as well as some concerts for uh, the city of Toronto in a really safe way. So um, it really gave them that sort of physical experience that they were looking for in the heart of Toronto that they wouldn't have been able to get um, just by watching the games at home.
0: Did you have Drake come along and host those events?
2: Uh, I wish. Drake was definitely at home social distancing and being safe. So uh, we didn't have any physical appearances of him, but uh, I have seen him uh, active on social lately. So I'm sure he's he's been watching and following along just like the rest of us.
1: The great man, Drake, and obviously shout out to him, he'd be he'd be tuning in. Um you you basically answered my next question, which was around um, you know, how, how have you delivered sort of new value to fans because they can't attend. But maybe I'll change that question to maybe what does the next sort of six months look like for you? Obviously, you might have fans coming back into arenas. How does sort of the experience or how is it going to differ when you're going to have a sort of a smaller crowd than what you would usually but equally you're going to have to really sort of up the game in terms of fan engagement because there are less people and you want more noise, all those kind of things you've got to consider. Um, was just wondering what what does the next six months look like for you?
2: Yeah, that's a that's another loaded question. I'd say you touched on a number of things there. One of the interesting things is um we're kind of lucky in a sense where the Raptors are playing in Tampa Bay right now. Not lucky in the sense that I would love to have them back home and be able to cheer for them in my own city, but we're being able to sort of experience what it is like to have some fans back in the arena. We did open our doors. Um, A couple of months ago now feels like forever ago. And we let a couple of fans in. So um, I will say that there's there's an outward challenge there in the sense that we're in a different market and we've got competitive fans in that market. It's not the home crowd that we're used to in Toronto. It's very notorious for being super loud and supportive. Now we've got fans of the other teams very close to their home market coming to cheer on their home team. So Um, Not only is sort of the reduced fan um, an interesting challenge, but also trying to figure out how we amplify the Toronto support in that market as well has been um, something super interesting. And you never really think you're going to have that challenge in your uh, career. So it's been really fun. We've been getting our partners on board. Um, We're hopefully going to be able to open our doors back up to fans in Tampa pretty soon. Um, but I am really excited about fans coming back to Toronto. Uh, we have sort of a scenario plan in place for a couple of different moments that we're looking forward to, including uh, sort of anticipation of thinking that our soccer field will be the first thing to open, given it's got its outdoor um, open air situation, it will probably be the safest at some point for us to welcome fans back into. And then as we scale that up, um, also thinking about Scotiabank Arena for both sports and concerts as well. So I think in terms of partnerships, A, we're thinking about how do we make this arena as safe as possible? So do we have the right partners on board to help us um, ensure that everything is going to be 100% spotless, that the experience is still going to feel amazing, that you're covered and you're going to be able to enjoy the game just as you would have um, before any of this happened? And then also thinking about how we heighten the experience even more with that smaller crowd so everything from game operations to giveaways um you know the actual signage and in arena feeling how can we just make sure that everything feels like um it's even better than it was when you left it so lots of work going on there we've got all of our partners thinking about how do we plan for each of those moments um, and treat them like celebrations versus just small milestones that come and go and eventually we return back to normal
1: what's the sort of like commercial implications been for you moving the team to Tampa Bay for, uh, is, is it the whole season or just,
2: yeah, know, pumped,
1: yeah whole season? Like obviously you've got a lot of partners who the reason they're with the, the Raptors say is because they're in Canada and they want to hit that market. What's that sort of meant for you shifting the team to Tampa Bay and they're not going to get that sort of exposure to the Canadian market?
2: Yeah, um, we have a stat, and I, I will misquote it, so I'm just going to round it out. Uh, but it kind of applies to most professional sports, but the NBA specifically, especially in Canada, given how geographically sort of stretched out we are, is that you know most of your fans never step foot into your arena. That's a reality that's hard to almost wrap your brain around because you're so used to that really important in-person experience. But the reality is many, many of them are – across the country, even around the world, and they're only able to watch that game through their TV or on their phone. Um, And that's really interesting for us to begin with. So um, it's not a sort of stark black and white from what we were thinking about before when it came to how we were building programs. We were already trying to think about how we were reaching those fans beyond our four walls of the arena, if you will, even though it's round. Um, So that's something that's sort of helped us in that space. Unfortunately, it is just a reality that we're, we're having to play south of the border. But All of the things that we were building when it comes to social, digital, reaching fans through a second screen, um, heightening the game day experience from home are things that we already were thinking about. And this just sort of escalated it to um, a new height. So it is interesting. I feel like um, obviously I haven't left my condo in quite a while, given we've been in lockdown for what feels like forever here. But if you told me that Toronto teams were still playing at Scotiabank Arena, it would probably feel the same way to me. I'm just stuck at home a couple of kilometers away, so um, you know, lots of things like how do we leverage at-home delivery and contesting packages, giveaways, merch, swag; those are all still things we can um, deliver within our country's borders. So we're really trying to lean into that, and making sure that fans feel super engaged when they're they're watching from home, um, even though the team happens to be 1,300 miles away on any given day.
0: Morgan, due to coronavirus and loss of revenue, a lot of um, staff have kind of had to be laid off and it's kind of put a shift or a spotlight on what roles are the most essential. And what's been quite surprising has been, you know, like the, the social media producer who's, you know, taken videos on TikTok has become the most important person in, uh, in the company. Um, have you noticed like a growth in, in your team in the digital space?
2: Yeah, we we used to have quite a slim digital team specific to partnerships. um, And we've only recently been able to add a couple new heads to that. But it has become more important than ever before, not to call them a bottleneck, but it really sort of put all of the weight on a couple people's shoulders. Um, They were already carrying the weight before, obviously, and there was just a lot more ways to diversify where our partners were um, putting their attention. But now you have to be um, on it there's so many moving pieces there's so many more briefs coming in all of the dollars that we're going to be spent on you know in arena gifting or sampling or you know all those in-person touch points events um, are now having to be shifted over and we have to find new creative ways because we can't be running the same contest um, with many different partners or the same game with many different partners we have to always be innovating in that space so there's a lot of pressure i'd say i agree with you that's the, one of the most crucial jobs in our company right now is is that team and they're small and nimble for us but something that i think has been really eye-opening for us is we need to be investing our resources there um, long term this isn't going anywhere this is a strategy that we're going to continue to lean into so um, as we get more and more partners on board and more and more programs up and going and we continue to innovate it's going to become. I think, even even bigger of a team, um, hopefully on the, the flip side of this whole pandemic.
1: If MLSE wanted to acquire a, a new team, uh, what what's the process that you go through to make, make sure that's viable?
2: Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Obviously, we're always looking to figure out what's next. That's kind of our team mentality um, within our global partnerships group. And when you think about what's next at its biggest level, it's what's what team is next. You know, what are we what are we going to diversify even further into? And um, it's probably the thing that would give our ownership group the most uh, heartburn, but it's something that we have to think about because fan interests are always changing and there's things out there going on. So as I mentioned, obviously female sports are something that I think all of us collectively are very interested in, but there are still many sports that are even active in Toronto that we haven't um, yet tapped into. So um, we're always thinking about it. I think the most important part is you need to do the things that are already relevant and hard, are meeting the interest of your fans but also your partners as well because it's not a cheap task to go start a new team or purchase a new team and you have to understand that market viability so the number one thing that always sort of hangs over us as we're thinking through that is what's the licensing fee to get this off the ground and that could be anything from a couple million up to many 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 dollars so that's one thing and then also thinking about what it means in terms of your market Do we have enough dollars to sustain this? Is there enough interest to add a new team and not cannibalize the support that we've got in our other spaces? So that's the, the strategic answer. I think the, the other realistic answer is probably just what are people interested in? Are there people at the top who have a certain propensity for a different sport or, or a soft spot for um, a certain league? So there's all, all those factors that go into it as well. But I think when it comes to female programming, the thing for us is to think about it very holistically, we're not just gonna bring in a pro team without thinking about the support network around it, the facilities, um, you know, where would they play? Do we have a field or a pitch or a court or ice that can support that team? Um, And how are we really growing the game authentically? We don't wanna ever just launch something and sort of let it fizzle out with no support. So it has to be done right, and it has to be done with a long-term vision of how we're actually gonna lean into it. So it's definitely not something that happens overnight, um, unfortunately.
0: (laughs) If someone wanted to come along right now and purchase the Toronto Raptors, how much do you reckon it would set them back? <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, a couple of trophies. No, I, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we put a price on the Toronto Raptors. I think they're too beloved by our, our ownership group. It, there is just no dollar amount at this point. Although I'm sure Drake, Drake has mentioned he's interested in being a future Toronto Raptor owner, so I'm maybe. <laughs>
1: yes,
2: it, listening out
1: there (laughs) surprised he's not already even just you know half a percent or a percent sure (laughs) he puts him in the in the conversation i would have thought (laughs) yeah
2: maybe one day maybe one day
0: morgan last time we spoke you talked about the old way and the new way uh for getting into sport um for our listeners out there who are trying to make sense of careers in sport do you mind elaborating on what you mean by that
2: yeah, we get this question all the time. In fact, I was talking to a colleague last night where this came up. But um, we're at an interesting pivotal point. I think I talked about how I came in as a marketing intern many years ago and re-came back into the company um, later into partnerships. But I saw a huge shift in that time from when I um, first started, and that was only a couple of years. It wasn't a massive time in between, but the industry overall changed so much. Everyone that was coming into the sports and entertainment world was Coming in because they were ready to commit to a career, they were finding an internship and they're sticking with all the way up through until they're joining as a senior leader on the team. And people were doing it because they were the biggest fan of that team or they were a massive sort of fan of working in sports and entertainment overall. And that was interesting. And a lot of people even still that work in the industry have taken that route. Where I think we're headed to is that we're understanding that we really need to diversify our skill sets. And if the industry is to grow overall, we really need to innovate and push what we're bringing into our space. So when I say that myself coming in from the agency world, I joined a team where there was a brand manager who had worked um, more in the CPG space for Unilever. We had a consultant who had come from much more of an analytical background, and we were thinking about how we were going to add the next skill set. So mine, being in communications planning, um, was very different from someone who may have been in the sports and entertainment world their whole career. So we've continued with that mindset, and I've noticed it hugely across the whole North American sports scene. Is What skill are you bringing to the table as your number one sort of value add to that group? Second is your fandom, because we know we say this all the time. Anecdotally, we've got 20 million fans across Canada. So if we're hiring someone to join this business, we know that we have fans out there. What are we hiring for? It's a new skill set. It's a different experience. It's a different background. Um, We're interested in people who can do coding and building and designing and can bring something that we've never thought of before. So when we're hiring on our team specifically, I'm like, I want to hire the person that feels the most different to the group that's here right now. Whatever it might be, it has to be different than what we have because we're just adding another similar body to what we've got already, then we're not growing, we're not pushing, we're not innovating. So I'd say the industry overall has moved towards that. I've seen so many different you know, iterations of strategy groups and business intelligence groups and and sort of, you know, name it whatever you want to call it. But it seems to be a group of misfits that sort of span outwards and we're all um, trying to understand how different skill sets might lend itself to the growth of a team in a unique way.
1: Awesome. I, I don't want to go back to the Mighty Raptors again, but I will. Um, in 2019, as I was talking about, your beloved Raptors won their first ever championship and their first, they actually in their first ever final series, which is awesome. <laughs> what was it like working with the team? In that period.
2: Uh, it was absolutely crazy. It was super exciting. I think it sort of happens in front of you before you realize what's actually going on around you. And like I think from months after we were still questioning each other to say, like, did that actually happen? Did we actually make it that far? And I think I mentioned the last time we talked, but I spent actually it was a Saturday night. We made it into, I think it was the third round. Like we hadn't even gone that far before. And that was Um, amazing. It was also my birthday. So I happened to just be in great spirits because of that. But I just remember being with a group of people who worked for our team. We were all lucky enough to be in the arena and celebrating the moment that we finally had made it a step further. Everything beyond that just felt super surreal. But the fact that we had made it one step further was sort of that iconic peak moment, I think, for many of us. Um, It was kind of surreal in that sense. And the nice thing was that we got to celebrate it with all of our partners and all of these people that you look back and Unfortunately, I didn't work at MLC for the last 25 years, but there's been a lot of people who've been there for the journey close to the team um, since its inception. So for those people, it meant more than anything to be um, at the heart of all of the action. I wish we got to win on Toronto soil. That would have been amazing. But um, I look back and it's just crazy. Everything from the parade that set new records for how many people came out, took over the city of Toronto, um, to the rings we were talking about last time, how cool it is to have a championship ring. Um, to still even finding some of the championship merch we joke about it all the time that you still sort of find it tucked away in your your corners of your uh, house and you never you never forget about those moments so that's probably why i constantly say 2019 nba champions because i'm seeing all of it all over my condo all the time
0: (laughs) beautiful that's exactly why people get into sport for those moments where you can be a part of a club championship and uh, you're not the only person who's got a whole lot of merch from their office just lying around everywhere. I think Ryan and I uh, will often run into each other in the street wearing the same Crick Australia shorts or polo <laughs> or something like that. Um, so I know all about having too much merch in, in your cupboard. Love it.
2: There's never too much merch. <laughs>
0: <It's getting laughs> uh, I don't know. Days, right? <laughs>
2: you,
0: you, might, you might come to my house and, and say something different, I think, Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> there's having merch
1: then there's then there's Ruben. um
2: <laughs> different hoarder. altogether
1: Although my bottom draw I must say after getting this season's merch now Rubes, it's it's getting a bit heavier um so yeah I know you're hoarding
0: it so if you want some I'll drop it round <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll come over today. Morgan, finally, if you couldn't go to university, if you had to leave your psychology degree at the door and you still wanted to work in sport, what would be the first thing that you would do?
2: That is a great question. I think I would go, as I said, pursuing those random, maybe not random, but like focused skills feels like the way to get into any sports business. So, Um, I often tell people I tried the agency thing and I learned so much from it. If I hadn't even come back into sports, I still would have found out a lot more about what I like to do and getting to try work on all of these different brands and all of these different skill sets. So I think that there's probably something in finding a job where you get to, um, you know, try out all of those different aspects, whether that's a startup and you get to sort of lean into many different types of departments or, Whether that's an agency where you get to apply yourself to many different brands or teams or sports or whatever it may be, Um, I see so much value in that gaining experience and focusing and learning those skill sets that you're eventually going to apply um, within the sports space. I also think this is probably an overused uh, answer, but networking is always helpful. I think it's such a small industry even meeting the two of you came through a common connection we had with the other uh, champions, Kansas city chiefs from last season. So um, yeah, the people you meet are really, we're in the business of relationships. So if someone can vouch for you or thinks of your name, when a job comes up, it's really uh, probably the most powerful way to break into the business. So some combination of having unique skill set and then meeting the right people is probably uh, the route that I would take if I hadn't gone to university.
1: Fantastic. Well, Morgan, we'll leave it there for today. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today and um, obviously good luck for whatever 2021 brings. It's going to be a weird one, but uh, hopefully a lot of success for m- the multitude of teams that you that you cover in your role.
2: Yeah, we'll, we'll have to knock on wood. Hopefully we can reconnect in the, in a year or so and we'll have a whole bunch more rings to talk about and maybe, maybe one particular Stanley Cup. That's the thing that we're we're missing in toronto right now it's been a few more years since the last one we had so uh that really feels like the focus for for mlse these days is is winning more championships and getting back to the top so that would be great
1: all righty well good luck Uh, there's there's talk of a sports grad world tour i think ruben's organizing that one uh, when we can travel again but we'll be sure to drop by toronto and uh and see the stanley cup being raised
2: <laughs> That'd be perfect. Make sure you wear all of your merch too, so we can identify <laughs> you in the sea of fans.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. M- maybe we can do a trade.
2: Yeah, I'll, go, I'll give you some Toronto. I
1: mean, Rubes, you've, you've got about fifty thousand pieces of merch, so you, you could basically deck yourself out with uh, some whatever Toronto team you
0: like. So i will need to get <laughs> we the. We probably cover like you with
2: a- all of them. You could get the full the full lineup, and I'd even secure some from the Blue Jays if you wanted.
0: Oh, perfect! I'm I'm all for that.
2: <laughs> to make I'm it all fair. for it.
0: <laughs> all
1: right, well, we'll let you go, Morgan. But thank you again for for coming on the podcast, and uh, we'll chat soon. Yeah,
2: thanks for having me. This was fun.
1: So there we go. What what a what a great chat that was, Rubes. I think there's so much to take away. From that discussion, and what an interesting role! I think I said at the very start of the pod, like, what a cool job! Like dealing with four sports in the one role is it, just
0: so interesting. So, what a dream job! Yeah, and we hadn't we haven't talked to anyone from Canada before, so very interesting to understand how things work up there. But, um, in terms of what you know, people can take away from this episode, I think one of the the key things that I would be looking at is trying to further understand how those franchise groups operate and so I think you know if you wanted to do something after this episode one thing would be to research those groups and just increase your commercial understanding of how those teams operate because that's going to feed into your understanding of the sports industry and allow you to kind of have more of those intelligent conversations when they come up if you're conversing with other people in the industry or if you had asked a question around a subject matter during an interview as well so i think um yeah one thing i'll be doing after this ryan is just looking up the maple leaf sports and entertainment group and what other franchise groups are out there as well yeah absolutely
1: i agree it it's good to yeah good to research these kind of things and know know what's happening um because i wasn't really across what they did before this so it shows there's probably a lot of these type of companies that that do this, so good to know. Um, my takeaway, and I guess she mentioned it right at the end there, but just reiterating that the sports industry is relatively small compared to others, so um, having contacts and relationships are absolutely essential uh, and because it's so small, people see roles come up or opportunities that people might be interested in, they come up all the time um, and if they they've got someone in their mind or they've they've got some contacts that they already know, it's it's kind of like a step ahead and you can obviously um, take advantage of those relationships and, and get your sort of foot in the door and have an advantage to, to try and get those opportunities. So, again, um, we say it a lot but um, it's it's that networking thing, um, that little thing that we always talk about um, and
0: she she summed it up pretty well there at the end. Yeah, and coming at it from a point of view where people know you for a specific skill, not just because you love sport and you don't want to work in sport, yeah. but you've got specific skills that you can bring to an organization. Yeah. Ryan, my my final takeaway was to go out and, and brainstorm and, and research some of the activation ideas that teams are using to make up for lost value at the moment. And Morgan spoke at length about some of the things that, that they're doing. And I think – um you know, similarly, if you get put in a scenario interview down the track, you might be asked to bring up a couple of ideas of what would you bring to the organisation or what would you do in this situation. I think it's it's never a bad idea to to keep on top of what some of the professional teams are doing around the world at the moment. That you can kind of just like chop and change and you know use in your own uh, circumstances too. If you're involved in a grassroots club, you can apply it there. Um, but also if you just want to get creative and have a bit of fun with activations jot them down or come up with a brief that you might um, you know might one day roll out it might be in 10 years time when you're actually working in a role but um, um, i think one thing that uh, people can do from this episode is go there and research some of those activation ideas
1: fantastic mate thank you for listening and uh, we'll see you next time
0: hey team i hope you
1: enjoyed today's episode and if you did, please share it with your friends or your classmates who also have to figure out all of this sports career stuff. As you can see, this podcast is practically a masterclass and it's free. And you and your circles deserve to have it. So please
0: share it far and wide. Finally, when you are ready to make sense of tackling jobs in sport, go check out the Sports Grad Method. This is an ebook I wrote based on eight years of trying to get into the sports industry and teaching others how to do it too. All of that is condensed down into a proven process to getting jobs in sport. If you're like me and enjoy things broken out into logical steps, then I think you're going to enjoy it. To get a hold of that, download it from www.sportsgrad.com.au. Thanks again for listening. Chat to you soon.